0: Chapter 16 tonight. As we began that text, I wound up going back through John 14, 15, and 16, just uh, just in preparation for really verses 1 and 4. Uh, I'll read 1 through 6 or 15, but I'm just going to concentrate on verses 1 through 4 tonight. John 16 begins, "These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling." That's my key phrase tonight. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because i have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart but i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and he when he comes will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So all of this discourse is happening just just before the cross, and so uh, one of the things that occurred to me as I was reading in chapter 16 is that all the all that he said going before in chapters 14 and 15, uh, he's speaking these truths. Uh, I think in some ways, understanding that there's going to come a time, and there's going to come a circumstances where they're not going to immediately recall in their own strength all that he's saying, but he's, he's laying it down, as it were, uh, for future reference or for future use. Because they're not aware uh, at this moment of what kind of persecution they're going to come under, uh, but he clearly says to them that they are going to do that. In fact, uh, he begins that in chapter 15 when he speaks of the world's uh, hatred for them. And so in the first four verses, Jesus writes these things. These things I have spoken to you. Uh, so the question I'm asking is what things does he refer to? Those things immediately prior or <coughs> or those things going back to chapter 14? Uh, you could expand that to mean everything I've said to you. But I, <coughs> I do think that he's talking about a certain uh, part of his words. And I do believe they go back uh, into this upper room discourse at least to chapter 14. So... So that's what I want to look at. But he says he's, he's spoken these things for a very specific reason and so that they might not stumble. So now he goes on to say uh, right on the heels of that, but they will make you outcast from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. So what I'm looking at tonight is that's a situation that apparently in Jesus' understanding might be a provocation for their stumbling or a cause for their stumbling. Uh, Obviously, being cast out of the synagogue has all its own implications. They're really cut off, as it were, for the typical life of Israelites. Uh, They're essentially kicked out of the church, uh, if you might phrase it in that way. So they're sort of excommunicated out of their normal routines where they would normally go and practice in the synagogue. So they're going to push you out of there. They're going to isolate you. Uh, religiously, They're going to squeeze you out of the religious realm of the Israelites. And not only that, but there is an hour coming to where they will kill you and they, as though they were doing a service to God. And that's really frightening because that may not necessarily be <clears throat> roman persecution uh, that may be those who are persecuting you in the name of god or or you might say in the in the attempt to preserve their ideals of religion or their godliness so these people are going to come at you and they're going to take you out not just not just as a murderer or a or a seditionist or something like that they're going to come at you with some sort of false religious Uh, ideas in regards to that. They're going to shut you up to preserve God, as it were. And so that's a really frightening situation. So Jesus says to them, I have spoken what I've spoken to you. I've spoken these things so that you might not stumble when that time comes. So when I read that, it makes me immediately uh, interested in what it was that he said, and not only what he said, but its relationship to my not stumbling. Because the implication is without having spoken these things, you would stumble. And obviously, obviously there's, a, there's an overall idea that it is the word of Christ. Yes, he's speaking the word of Christ. But he delineates very specific things beginning in chapter 14 leading up to this point. So that's what I want to look at tonight. And I do think this is rel- relative or relevant to where we are in our day today. Uh, let me just say that. Uh, I think there is a time when the, the church, quote unquote, the, the buildings and the gatherings of people, the true doctrines of Christianity will become so distasteful to them that you will literally be squeezed out of those gatherings. And they will still say they're the church, but you are heretical or some other thing. And they will push you out of the synagogues, as it were, or the local institutional churches. And I think with some time that will progress to the point that someday the silencing of you will be viewed in their eyes as a service to the God that they have created, as it were, in their own minds. And I think that's where the persecution will begin. So this is relevant to us. When I read that, I think he's speaking immediately to his disciples, certainly in the first couple of centuries, there was persecution, heavy persecution in the Christian church from the Roman empire, obviously, and from Judaism as well. So, so he's speaking relative to them personally, but it has universal application, I think, and it certainly does to us as well. So I'm really interested in how Jesus says, I am to, I am to guard myself against stumbling when that happens. Some people will stumble just by being put out of the church. All of us would, would struggle, I'm sure, if we knew that our lives was going to be, our lives were going to be taken and that we're going to be taken under the guise of preserving godliness by shutting us up. So it's interesting to me about what Jesus is going to say. Uh, before I get to that, verse 3, he tells them why they will do these things. These things they will do. In other words, they'll cast you out of the synagogues and they'll kill you uh, as though they're offering service to God. The reason they do these things is because they have not known the Father or me. He's already talked about that at the end of chapter 15. And then he tells them again, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, this is part of keeping you from stumbling, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And then he goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit who is promised. So just in a brief review of what he said to them in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, you remember this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. So one of the things that he had spoken to them that I believe was supposed to equip them against stumbling when that hour came was that they have a certain place. They have a place that has been guaranteed by Christ going away, laying down his life for them in preparation of our communion or our entrance into the presence of the Father. So that's supposed to be stabilizing when the hour comes. So when they throw you out of the synagogue, when it feels like you have no place among your people, be encouraged and don't stumble because I have prepared a place for you. There is a place for you beyond the synagogue and when they push you out of the church because the church will no longer endure sound doctrine, don't be discouraged, don't stumble, don't fall because I have prepared a place for you. And that is a certainty. That one truth alone, to me, has such a stabilizing effect in our lives when difficult times come. Particularly, I think, when it comes from those who are professing to be of the household of faith. Those who are professing some degree of godliness. When they come against you, it's one thing when the world comes against you and it's evil. But when those who are representing themselves as godly godly people or even Christians come against you with the same vitriol and the same hatred as the world does, it, it rattles you even deep, more deeply. And Jesus says, when that happens, remember what I spoke to you. Remember what I spoke to you and I spoke to these things to you so that in those moments you wouldn't stumble. Notice in verse uh, chapter 16 when verse four, Again, when he says, these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes. So this is yet ahead of them, but he's, he's assuring them that the hour is coming. When, he doesn't say if their hours come, he says when their hour comes. I've spoken to this to you so that you won't stumble when their hour comes to take your life. And it is coming. They will come to take your life is what he's saying to them. And in the ultimate and in the extreme, they will come someday to take the lives of Christians in this world who are holding fast to the truth. And that day, Jesus assures us and stabilizes us by reminding us that there is a certainty of a place that he has prepared for us. In chapter 14, also in verse 6, I think this is part of what he's speaking as well. But in that day, when their hour comes, you can keep from stumbling or you can be braced against stumbling by holding fast to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, he says, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I've gone to prepare a place for you and I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only means by which you can enter into that place. So when, when they cast us out, when the hour comes and when the persecution is heavy and when our lives are hanging in the balance, find strength in the fact that you have trusted and you have, you have given all over into Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. I thought about that in a, in the immediate context of that. Whenever you're thrown out of the synagogue and when you're isolated and when the pressure comes and the persecution, one of the things you're going to be thinking about is what's my way out of this? How do I, how do I avoid this? How do I navigate this? In that moment, the assurance that keeps us from stumbling is that Jesus has already told us, I am the way. I am the way. You don't need to look for another route. You don't need to search and stress out about finding some way to navigate this. If providence allows and your life is taken, I have already made a way through myself to bring you into the Father's presence. So calm down. Don't stumble. Don't abandon your faith. Remember that I am the way. In those moments as well. You're gonna you're gonna be questioned and you're gonna question in your own heart what you what is true. What have I banked my life upon in this moment? When the pressure gets on, even now in the job markets and how you can be squeezed out if you don't toe the line of the, of the liberality today and the radicalness today, you can be squeezed out of your place of work. And already people begin to think to themselves, wait a minute now, have I, have I put all of my eggs in this basket? I mean, what am I banking on here because I'm about to lose my livelihood And if this thing pushes, you may be one day evaluating whether or not you're going to lose your actual life for your stand. That's the moment when you're going to need to know the truth. I don't know about you, but I'm not laying down my life for something that I don't don't really believe in. I'm not going to throw my life to the the lions for something that I'm skeptical about or, or ambiguous about or ambivalent about. I will only be prepared to do that if there is something that I have embraced as true that exceeds whatever temporary pleasure I might have by escaping those things and offers me a superior joy to the, uh, just as Jesus said, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. You're going to want to know in that day what's true. And Jesus says, I am the truth in that moment. Also in life, when life again again hangs in the balance, Jesus says to us to bring stability to us in that moment. I am the life. I am the life. It's not, it's not the life to pursue or to run away from this or to go hide out somewhere. That's not the life. You're trying to preserve your life in this world. I am the life. I have brought you to myself. I am for you, the way, the truth, and the life. Let that be stability when the pressure comes on. These things, he says, I have spoken to you that you might not stumble. Thirdly, I may not get through all of these, but we'll go as far as we can. In chapter 14, verse 10, when the hour comes, you can be kept from stumbling by trusting that your Savior is himself God. I just chose one verse, but he does that through verse 9 all the way really to verse 12, but... Verse 10, he says, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but my father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Otherwise, believe of the works themselves. The the overall summary of what he's saying there essentially is that I am God. Hold fast to that truth. I mean to me that's stabilizing and if he is God then there is a providence and a sovereignty at work even in my being thrown out of the synagogue or even in my life being taken for the testimony of my faith. There is a providence ruling there and a preservation having you been united to this one who is God incarnate, God the Son who takes me into the presence of God the Father and indwells me by God the Holy Spirit later on. He'll share in us in this moment. That's stabilizing. That'll keep you from stumbling. I haven't trusted in churches and denominations and in pastors and moms and dads or governmental systems or democratic systems or or, or republics or any other thing. I haven't thrown all of my trust into those things. I have trusted the one who is himself God in the flesh. And there is no one greater. There's no one who can overcome him. There is no one who can surpass him in his power and in his might. That is the one that you have trusted in the face of this kind of persecution. That'll keep you from stumbling. That'll keep you from abandoning your faith in the moment of crisis. These are things, I love this because Jesus is saying, I'm saying this to you. Ahead of time, it's not here yet, but the hour's coming. And I'm saying this to you knowing that you'll never remember this. But once I'm gone and I go to the cross and I do the preparation work, then I'm going to send, a, send the Spirit from the Father back to you. And when the hour comes, the Spirit's going to be with you, reminding you of everything I've said to you. So I'm not, I'm not expecting you and I to remember all these 17 things in order. But I am trusting that when the hour comes for us, that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind all that Christ has said to us. And it will provide the same stability for us as it was for the disciples themselves, all of which but John, it is believed, were martyred. So we survive and we do not stumble by trusting that Christ, is our Savior, is God. In chapter 14, verses 13 through 14... Another way that we uh, preserve or keep our, or be kept from stumbling is through faithful and confident prayer. Notice in verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He goes on to say, and I'm just, I'm just condensing all that to say, whenever the persecution comes, one thing that'll keep you from stumbling is confident prayer that you offer up your petitions to the Lord and he, and he answers those things. He has given us this answer. I abide in you, you abide in me, I abide in your words, and I pray. In those moments I, pray, I may pray, Father, deliver me from this moment if it be thy will. But if not, bring me into your presence and, and let me behold the fullness of your glory. And he'll answer that prayer. And even if there is distance or time before he answers it, the confidence that he is a God who hears prayer and that he is answering prayer for us will bring strength stability when the temptation comes I've watched these uh, portrayals and I've read Fox's books of martyr Fox's book of martyrs and I and I try sometimes to imagine what it would be like to be in those moments and I and I can't help but think about the overwhelming tide or tsunami of fear that would just wash over you in that moment this is my life I mean, other than by faith, this is all my experience of what living is. And it's about to be ripped away from me forever. Yes, I have faith. And yes, I believe these truths. But those are matters of faith. And and to some degree experientially through the Spirit. But I haven't lived in the fullness of the new man. I haven't received the fullness of those promises. I believe but is, in that moment, is that belief and that conviction sufficient to overcome the experiential fear that you have of losing your life? I think about that often. And I often find myself finally getting to the place, but Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe and I trust it's on this side of the suffering. But in the midst of the suffering, I recognize that it will crush every ounce of Of reliance upon my flesh that remains in me. And in that moment, oh God, would you embrace me and let me know of your presence so that I might stand boldly upon the name of Christ as they take my life? I think that's a good way to be thinking. And Jesus is telling his disciples this so that they might not fall. In chapter 14, verse 16 through 17, in those moments we might be kept from falling. By, be, by remembering or by or through the strength of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus says, these things I've spoken so that you might not stumble. Well, that's one of the things he's spoken. This Holy Spirit will come to us and he will take up residence and he will dwell with us and he will reveal to us of Christ. Show us more fully the glory of Christ. And he will provide discernment and wisdom and all the, all the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts to shore us up against the trembling of the flesh in the face of our own deaths. And certainly in the face of being excluded and isolated from religious observance in this world. This is how you keep from stumbling. In fact, that's what I really just said. In that moment is the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, dwelling in us, that gives strength to endure that sort of persecution when the time comes. Let me just say this right quick. If you think, if you're sitting here today and you think that the strength of your faith will sustain you in that day, you're wrong you're wrong. In that day, it will be the strength provided by the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in faith, but but not faith brought about by your own strength. It'll be the faith given by the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, beholding Christ in his glory, yes, you will be preserved in there. But if you think that you've worked up enough strength in your own faith, and if you know enough that you won't crumble in that day, you're wrong. You're trusting in the flesh in that moment, let me tell you, I hadn't been there yet, but I've been in enough crisis moments right now to, all, to already know that in that moment, it'll crush what flesh dependence you got in you out. Because I've, I've experienced issues long enough in my life to know that in those moments of crisis, what gets sm- smashed to smithereens in you is self-reliance. And the more severe the crisis, the the more you're brought to the realization that there is nothing in me that has the strength and the capacity to endure this crisis. And in that moment is when true faith, I think, is exercised. Whenever Christ and the power of Christ dwelling in us in the person of the Holy Spirit comes to bear and sustains us and causes us to persevere in those moments. I say that because I recognize how subtle Self-reliance can creep back into our life, even if it was one time not present. Even if it was one time not present. So we have this stability of knowing that the Spirit indwells us. In verse 19 of chapter 14, another way that we endure is by our hope that we will live in Christ. Verse 19, after a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. To me, that's hugely strengthening. In other words, if somebody's standing over me with the sword and I'm required to recant or turn away or reject my former profession of faith, in that moment, the decision to hold fast to the truth on outward circumstances would seem to be the conclusion of my life. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. When that moment comes, when their hour comes and they do that in that moment, remember that because I live, you live. And, and because I live eternally, you live eternally. So the sword coming down might end this fleshly life, but you will continue in the life that I have purchased for you. You will continue in the new creation and await the resurrection of the body someday. But it is not the end of your life because I live, because I live. Not because you've merited life, but because I live, you live. Because you are united with me. And he is never to die again, as Romans 6 reminds us. Another one you see in verse 23 that will keep us from stumbling in that day is by abiding in Christ and keeping his word. Verse 23 just summarizing what he said before in some ways, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. In that day, obey his word and abide in his love. Abide in Christ. In fact, chapter 15, when he talks about the vine and the branch, that's the whole subject matter there is your, the necessity of your being united to the branch, drawing life from the branch Uh, Being pruned by the Father, so that you might be more fruitful in that life in the branch. And He's saying, "When their hour comes, when their hour comes, abide in Me and keep My word. Keep My word." Again, you may be saying to yourself, "Now I'm I'm resolved, like Jonathan Edwards, I am resolved that when the hour comes, I will keep the word of God. Not if you're not abiding. Not if you're not abiding." If you're abiding in Christ and you're finding your strength and your rest and your security and your hope and your joy all in Christ and you're, you will obey His word and even as the sword comes down upon the neck of the Christian, He is abiding and holding fast the word. That's how you keep from stumbling. Remember now, He's saying, I'm saying these things to you so that when that hour comes, you won't stumble. You don't, you're not going to remember this, and in fact, you're going to be so overwhelmed and frightened in that moment that you won't have any way possible of remembering these things. But the Holy Spirit is going to be with you, and He's going to bring them to remembrance in that moment. And you're going to remember in that moment to hold fast to the Word, and that will keep you from stumbling, abiding in Christ and holding fast to His Word. Let me, let me say this. I do think we can be practicing this now in the little crisis, right? In other words, I don't want to wait for the big one to get here and see if this works. Uh, I want it to be here when it looks like my kids are going wild. I want it to be here when it looks like my marriage is falling apart. I want it to be here when my job suddenly goes away. I want it to be here. I want to I want to be practicing this when the doctor says, "We found a tumor." Uh, I want I want in the smaller crises. I want to st- See if this works. And those, that's where you grow and, and you're trained and relying upon Christ so that when the hour comes, you will have some experience at least in working through these things. Please don't wait till the hour's here and try to do a cram study or, or cram course that night before so that you might stand in that moment. I mean, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling now and he can bring to mind these things in the smaller crises and certainly be preparing us for the larger ones. The the largest of which I think will be our departure from this life, whether by force or by natural causes, as we call them. In verse 26, we see another one here. In that moment, when the hour comes, we will be sustained and kept from stumbling by spirit giving given discernment and remembrance. This is the verse I've been touching on. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. That's where I'm getting the discernment and, and just general knowledge and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So I'm laying this down sort of as a foundation Understanding that you won't be able to recall all this, especially when the hour comes upon you. But I'm saying that so when the Spirit comes, He will bring to remembrance everything I've said to you. And in that moment, you will find why I gave it to you. (laughs) Why I gave you this word. In that moment, you won't stumble. (laughs) So we can rely at that moment on Spirit-given discernment. There There are lots of things the Lord has taught me and He's taught you. And in some ways, he has given us a spirit of discernment through the truth of his word and through sanctifying, uh, through through our sanctification. And we kind of see through things a little better than maybe we did last week. But when the hour comes, the discernment, the need for discernment is going to be great in that moment. Because you're going to have to be able to see through the circumstances in front of you to find a sure hope to hold to in that moment. And Jesus says, You won't stumble in that day because there will be the spirit dwelling with you, giving you discernment, granting you discernment and bringing to your mind all that I have said to you. In verse 27, I love this one as I was meditating upon it, but you won't stumble in that day because you will have the peace of Christ. You will have a resting in Jesus Christ. He says to them, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. In other words, it won't be withdrawn. So in the moment of that crisis when they throw you out of the synagogue or put you out of the church, when they no longer will tolerate truth proclaimed in the, in the public forum, when they isolate you and you're jobless and you're scrambling to try to figure out how to feed your family, and one day, perhaps in our lifetime, perhaps in the lifetime of our children, and they come to you and they demand to imprison you and ultimately take your life for your faith, there will be something strange about you. You will be at peace. Now, that's a promise. I think we have a taste of that now, but I hear that as a promise. That'll keep you from stumbling. What? Believing and trusting that that peace will be there. But certainly in the moment, that peace will be there. Can you imagine that? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, I think, on Sunday night. But the martyrs, how many of those went to the stake and went to the fires and went to the Colosseum singing praises, joyful praises unto God? How many of those were crying out to God and and praising God in the moment that their lives were being taken? I mean, there is a peace that surpasses, surpasses understanding, and that will surround your hearts is what the Scriptures say. Paul cites that as well. And so, when that hour comes, you will be kept from stumbling by this inward peace of Christ. That is—it's uh, this kind of funny to me in some ways. But when it's there, and the world sees you in a crisis, and they see that peace, they are really dumbfounded by that. I mean, everything outwardly suggests to them that you ought to be in a panic. You ought to be in a tizzy, you ought to be hair on fire, seed on fire, running for your life. And right in the midst of all of that, that would provoke them to flight, you are just as calm and easy as can be. You are trusting, you are not deluded. You obviously know what the circumstances are, but there is an inner deep peace that ensures you, assures you that you will persevere through this and one day persevere all the way home. That's unexplainable. To the world it's, it's irresponsible to the world but that's what Jesus has said to them and I think he's referring to that when he says this will keep you from stumbling in that day if you'll remember that in verse chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 in that day I think you'll be kept from stumbling by abiding in Christ with his life producing fruit being born in your own life verse 1 through 8 I won't read all of that, we've already gone through that, but he says, if you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, you ask whatsoever you wish will be done for you. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. I I thought about this verse and I said, how how does remembering that when the hour comes or when the... When the hour comes, that is a span of time, so it may be not momentary, but it might include a span leading up to that. And I thought, how is that relevant? How is that going to provide stability for me in that moment? And I thought about this. Uh, there's nothing that says that's discontinued when the hour comes. In other words, you're not abiding in me until the hour gets here, and then I'm going to cut you off. That's an abiding relationship, an abiding all the way through these early days and these joyful days of your Christian life, but abiding through the more difficult days. But even in the hour, as the hour approaches for your life to be taken from this world, there's no indication whatsoever that that abiding relationship comes to an end. And so, since that does not come to an end there, then the fruit being born by that relationship, neither does it. And so the last fruit you may bear to the glory of God in this abiding is your holding fast to your confession of faith and your love for Jesus Christ even as you are departing this world and as your heart beats finish their last here. That is a promise that that relationship doesn't get broken when the hour comes. So don't fret about that. When the hour comes, stay attached to the vine. That keeps you from stumbling. Keep drawing the life from the vine. Keep finding strength in the vine. And keep letting that bear fruit in your life to faithfulness to the Word of God and to the person of Jesus Christ. All the way in the last hour, even unto the end. You can trust in that abiding relationship to provide those things for you. That'll keep you from stumbling. In fact, I think some stumbling would come because you think it's no longer possible for that to happen. You think that he can't provide with me strength and calm and peace in the midst of such circumstances. I just don't believe he can do that for me. and And I stumble in that moment. Jesus is saying you can be preserved from that stumbling by believing what I have said to you. He will provide these things in that abiding relationship similar to that in verse 15 chapter 15 verse 10 Jesus says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love aside from the obe- obedience involved here which I've just touched on we can be sustained in that day and that hour by knowing and abiding knowing and I say that in an in- intimate sense knowing and abiding in the love of Christ uh, I think, I think in the moment, in the face of the hatred of the world, if you were convinced in the depths of your heart of the love of Christ, you could endure the hatred of the world. In fact, I think that's Jesus' endurance on the cross demonstrates that. He knew the love of the Father and he loved the Father. The Father loves him. And so he's hanging on the cross being tortured at the hands of those who hate him. And even while he's doing it, he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The, the, the way, the only way that's possible is if he is embraced the love of the Father that sustains him there. I think that's true of us as well. That keeps you from stumbling. Again, don't wait till the hour gets here to explore the love of Christ. Anybody here, would you say you know? experientially the fullness of the love of Christ I've tasted enough to make me want to know more of the love of Christ but I don't think I've at all exhausted the depth and the breadth and the height and the width and the length of the love of Christ Paul was praying for believers to know that and I think Paul was hoping and pursuing to know that himself so I think the more fully we know this love of Christ, the more we will be preserved from stumbling in that moment because we will be convinced that nothing can separate us from that love, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8. I mean, he lists a whole gamut of things that might potentially cause you to think that you could be separated from that. And yet he says we are conquerors in those things. A couple more here. In chapter 15, verse 11 We can find stability in those days and not stumble in the experience of Christ's joy. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. I touched on this in the previous sermon, but that your joy may be made full. I think holding fast to that as well. Jesus has said to them, I'm saying this to you so that my joy, something in what I'm saying, will cause you to experience my joy and the experience of my joy will become fuller along the way in that hour when the hour has come the holy spirit's going to bring this back to your mind and you're going to have the ability at least to know this joy in the midst of suffering i was sharing with someone not too long ago uh, and we're going through a really difficult time and and I'm always fascinated by Paul and Silas because when they began to praise God in the Philippian jail, that was completely by faith, generally, we think. Uh, but I wonder sometimes, in prayer, having suffered in prayer, throwing themselves upon the mercy of the Lord in that moment, perhaps this, this fuller revelation of the glory of God provoked in them this singing and they began to sing and through the singing, the power of God was manifested in the prison doors flying open. So much so that they didn't have any inclination to leave. I mean, we'd have been tempted to sing and be watching the door, hey, you know, sing away. And when the doors popped open, sing and stop, we're out of here. They were caught up in the worship of God and in the worship of God, the power of God was manifested in the prison doors flying open. And so called up in the glory of God, were they, that they didn't immediately pursue the exits. Let's stay here a while. I mean, that says something about the joy of the Lord. And Jesus, I think, reminds them when the hour comes, remember what I've said to you about my joy. And about the possibility of it becoming full in you. All, by the way, all your joy is going to be gone. The joy you took in the healthy life, the joy you took in a large family, the joy you took in prosperity, all the joys you took in this world, in that hour, they're evaporating. You've been separated from family, job, health, probably been beaten by that time. You've been cut off from every joy you ever found in this life, in this, in this world, and there's only one joy left available to you, and that's going to be the joy of Christ. And when that's your only joy, that's when that joy becomes full. And I think that's what he's saying to them. In chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, you can be kept from stumbling here, literally by the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. I thought about this a lot in the last several weeks. Jesus is saying these things just prior to going away to the cross. He said that to them plainly by now. My hour has come. What shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour. This is why I came. I mean, the Son of Man is going to the cross. So he's laying all of this out, and if he doesn't go to the cross, in some sense, they're empty promises. The cross is the purchase of the and the guarantee for all that he's saying to them. That's why he says, You 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 don't you're worried about what I'm saying to you and you're not even thinking about where I'm going, but it's expedient that I go. In fact, it's to your advantage that I go, because if I go, that means I go through the cross. I go to the Father, I send the Holy Spirit back, and He brings to bear all that I'm purchasing on the cross for you. You better be glad I'm going. You better be thinking about the, the strength going to be provided for you by my going. And so he says that essentially in verses 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends, as I shared early in the earlier message. He's speaking of himself there because he immediately calls them friends, for you my friends. Well, if you're the friends, then I must be the one that laid down the life for the friends. And that's exactly what he did. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So the friendship is manifested in their obedience to him as well. And that's where I'm pointing to the Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, which is all over this passage, by the way. I mean, this is the upper room discourse. He's going to the cross. And so you can't read this in isolation of the cross. And all all this is being laid down prior to the cross. The Holy Spirit will come back after Jesus ascends to the Father and he will bring to remembrance everything he's saying in preparation for the cross. But there is no purchase of it apart from the cross. Uh, Think about that just for a minute tonight. Uh, These are possible and available in your life through the purchase of Christ, through the merit of Christ. So it's just as expedient that he goes to the cross for you as it was for the ones whom he's speaking this directly. If he doesn't go to the cross for you, then these things aren't purchased for you and they are out of bounds for you. You need not expect them apart from Jesus Christ. The lost man can't expect these things because they're purchased in the cross and we are united to Christ by faith. And become partakers of all that he's purchased for us at the cross. Chapter 15 verse 16. You can be stabilized in that day and kept from falling by remembering that Christ has chosen us. Obviously I think he's speaking more specifically to his choosing of his disciples. But in a larger sovereignty sense he has chosen us. The father has chosen us in him, Ephesians says, before the foundation of the world. And so in that moment, that hour, that crisis that comes, you can find stability in that moment in knowing that you have been chosen by God. That's important to me because if I've participated in that in some way or contributed some way to that, and I'm I'm in some equal part covenant with God for my salvation, when the hours come, I just might renege on my end and therefore be cut off. I think this is the assurance that in that hour, the remembrance that he chose us and he covenanted with himself to bring us into his fellowship. And in that moment, he's not going to break his covenant and the executioner's sword won't break his covenant either. We are secure in that moment purely on the basis of his having chosen us. I'm just going to read the last three and you can look at them yourself. I really should touch on this one. <laughs> um, You'll be sustained in that day. This is interesting, by the love of the brethren. Notice the point he keeps making of that, chapter 15, verse 12, and again in 17, and over and over again, he says, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. And I, I spend a lot of time speaking about that kind of love. Well, he's, he's just told them in chapter 16, I've spoken this to you so that you won't stumble. So there must be something about the love of the brethren, the love of Christ being manifested among the brethren. They're loving one another as the Father has loved Christ and as Christ has loved them. There's something about that that will keep you from stumbling in that hour. And maybe it's a brother by your side under the same penalty of death. And he looks to you and says, brother, I love you. I love you. And Christ loves us. We are forever his. We will be reunited again in the presence of God. And we have this brief window of death to pass through. But oh, what a glory on the other side. Loving the brethren. Or maybe it's someone not directly under that penalty of death and they come alongside you and they weep with you and they rejoice with you and they remind you of the promises of God and the security we have in Christ and they love you sacrificially as Christ loved his church and the love of the brethren becomes edifying in the moment of crisis and somehow you find that you're enduring it and you're not stumbling. Let me just give an exhortation here. We ought to be practicing that now. Loving one another as Christ loves us. That's equipping us for the crisis. Guess what? Newsflash. You've all got a crisis coming. And if you live 99 years, at 99 years in one day, you've got a crisis. And that crisis is called death. It's called death. And in that moment, everything that you believed, everything that you have embraced and practiced all of your life is going to come to the test. And to me, as, our, as we grow together in Christ as the body of Christ and we love one another and we're undergoing sanctifications and we're sharpening one another as a, as a honing each other through the, through the Spirit and have the truth of God's Word and just fellowship and living life together as Christians, we are, we are equipping one another to hold fast in that day. Or better said, God is equipping us through one another to hold fast in that day. The last two I won't get into, but you'll be sustained that day and kept from stumbling by our having been taken out of the world. And then the final one, by the Spirit's revelation of Christ's glory. I will touch on that one for a moment. When the Helper comes, whom I will send, verse 26 of chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. I love this. He will tell you about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me. We get into chapter 16 and he speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is one of the reasons I, my convictions regarding the, the Spirit's work are as strong as they are. Because I believe you can make the case in scripture that the Spirit's work in us is always, always revealing or displaying Christ whether in our lives or through our lives or to us in the midst of some circumstance. He is never drawing attention to himself. Uh, I gave an analogy one time when I was at sea, we'd be watching for ships and on, the, on, the, on the bridge wings and you'd, I'd lay my binoculars down on the bridge wing and as the ship would roll, I'd use my thumbs as a fulcrum. And I mean, I could be dead steady. And every now and then I'd see this light so far out there. In fact, I'd call them out from the bridge and say, i got to contact 270. And they look, I don't see nothing, sailor. <clears throat> and I'd say, lay your knock," And I'd get them real still. But here's one thing I noticed. You couldn't see it when you looked right at it. The only way you could see it was to look to the left or to look to the right. If you looked directly at it, it disappeared. But for some reason, if you looked slightly one way or the other, it was as clear as a bell. And I've always had that analogy with the Holy Spirit. The moment you turn your eyes away from Jesus and look at the Holy Spirit, boom, you can't see Him. It's because He doesn't want to be seen. His his role in the Godhead is to glorify Christ and to take of Christ and bring into your life. He's always pointing to Christ. He's never saying, look at me, I'm the Spirit, I'm at work here. Never doing that. But when you're seeing Christ clearly, He's at work he's at work because that's the only way you can see him he's at work in your life so here's my encouragement tonight one is based on a reality the hours coming for all of us maybe not to be crucified killed by an executioner and maybe not even thrown out of the church but every one of us has an hour coming in which your faith and your life and your profession will be tested as to its authenticity and in that moment we have the spirit dwelling with us to bring to our remembrance everything that Jesus has said. And these are, I think these are good things he said for us to begin to think about even now. Whatever the crisis is, maybe it's something as small as a, as a minor family crisis or maybe it's larger than that. But let's believe Christ here and, and be prepared for the larger ones as they come into our lives. Thank you all for being here. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father we do thank you for your word Lord I thank you for the hope and the promise that we have that when the hour comes when that difficult day comes when that trying time comes we will have no strength in the flesh in fact whatever we may have been holding on to as a remnant will be immediately abolished in that day and in that day these truths will come to bear Lord I thank you for that promise and that hope that we have. Lord, I recognize even as I stand here that we all have difficult times in this life. And but Lord, we do all have a, a, a day of crisis coming. And I just pray that by your spirit and through your truth and by your grace, we will be found faithful in that day that we would not stumble that even our death itself, even the way we face those days will be a testimony of the power of Christ dwelling within in the Holy spirit. Bless those who've come tonight, Father. Bless their families, their lives. Lord, grant them guidance and discernment in every area of their lives that you might draw them nearer to yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.